great to be back with my home congregation on a Sunday morning once again after having been gone for about four weeks and serving, ministering with some of our sister congregations. And that was a good time with that in fellowship, taking that opportunity to be with them in that way. You know, if there's any common denominator among our congregations as of late, I've noticed that we have a lot of prayer requests. And I remember a time when that wasn't too much mentioned um, in, our, in a congregational way. We would save it for prayer meetings. And um, I've been a member here since 1983. So I guess one advantage of being a lifelong member at the same church is you, uh, you get to see changes. And sometimes changes are better. For the better. Imagine that. But I, I think there was a time when it would have been a rare thing to share publicly in a congregational way a prayer request. Not that it was wrong, it was just not something maybe we didn't even offer that opportunity. But it is a good thing to pray. And maybe I got to thinking, you know, why is that? Is it is it because we are now having more hardships? Are there more difficulties? Are we in the perilous times that the world talks about with the latter days? Or is it that we are just more free to share with one another? And so maybe it's a combination of both. And maybe it's a combination of sensing our need of God to come to him with our requests. You know, there's a prayer called the prayer of Jabez. Does anyone recall hearing about the prayer of Jabez? And it's in First um, Chronicles 4. I thought we might look at that. The, uh, the thing that stands out to me about the prayer of Jabez is where it appears, kind of out of nowhere in a long list of genealogies and names of God's uh, people. And in First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9, it says, And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. I guess the thing that stands out to me about this prayer is how personal it is. You know, we often pray for one another, and we intercede, and, and we think of others often in our prayers. But we need to be praying for ourselves as well. And God honored this man's prayer. Um, I think it came out of a sense of need, a burden, a desire. You know, if our prayers are not based on a, on a desire, that we desire what we ask, um, that in turn, I believe, will affect 
plays along with the faith that we need and um, enables the faith, our desire for that. And he mentions himself five times in this prayer, me or my, and that stood out to me. You know, it's okay to pray for yourself. I think we do. It's okay to sense that need in our life. You know, one of the um, one of the things that the Apostle Paul told Timothy, Second Timothy four two. He said, "Preach the word." Elsewhere, Paul talked about the foolishness of preaching. And so putting those two together, you could say there's a certain amount of foolishness that goes along with preaching the word. Um, you know, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the word of God. You know, I have, I have no reason to be here other than I believe the word and I believe it has power. I think it is quick and powerful. I believe it is what the Bible describes it to be. The one thing I find in, in doing this, and you can apply this perhaps more to just the preaching. It could, it could apply to teaching or speaking in other regards. But there's a principle that is found in the Bible. It's actually two, two principles or two concepts. The first is in Peter, 1 Peter 3.15. It says, But sanctify the Lord in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. There's that principle of being ready, being prepared. Being inclined to do a certain thing and be willing to do it. And God asks that of us. That, that can be something we pursue in our endeavors, whether we're a preacher or not, to be able to share the word. And then there's another concept. You could say it's a little bit opposite of that. In Mark 13, 11, it says, When they shall lead you up and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what you shall speak, Neither do ye premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye. It's, it's kind of the opposite. It's like, well, don't worry about what you're going to say. So I think as, as people that, in, in our, our tasks, we, we use a combination of this. I, I do myself. You know, if I wasn't at all prepared to, to share this morning, I'm not sure what I would say. But it doesn't mean that we always will know what we say. That, um, that verse, Mark 13, 11, it concludes with this. It says, for it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. And I just see that as two principles that govern the way we um, share God's word relating to speaking, teaching, or preaching. I remember a, um, a minister from way back that served in our churches, James T. Shank. He was um, 
he was ordained to, to uh, the Pike Church, which had been the old building in 1937. So that goes back a good ways. But I remember some of his preaching, and he served in many churches, but he had a sermon I have on uh, a recording from 1986. And in that sermon, he talked about, in his experience, there were times he would come to church uh, prepared to, to speak, to preach. And while he was sitting behind the pulpit waiting for church to start, the Lord would give him a different message than what he came prepared to speak. And I, I can appreciate, now I don't know if he was able to just have a bunch of sermons in his pocket, and that's how he operated. But I, I think there's something to be said for being sensitive to the Holy Ghost and to the Spirit in that way. And so the question, I believe, comes to us, how much do we try to orchestrate or how much do we let God orchestrate in our lives? There's a verse in Proverbs 16.1. It says, The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So I see that as, you know, the Lord helps us. We prepare. We, we do a certain amount but then when it comes to, uh, to the outcome of that, it, it may be something the Lord would change midstream. Well, the truth of all of that is without, without Jesus, we can do nothing. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. So all we do, all we are, and all we have, in a very true sense, comes from God. It makes me wonder a little bit, how did the apostles preach? How did, how did the early church, those that shared that gospel, did they have notes? Did they have um, outlines? Did they have titles to their sermon? I don't know. But however they did it, it was, it was effective. They were able to lay a foundation of faith that we have today Ephesians 2.20 talks about how the household of God is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. That's a comforting thought to know that God is with his church. He's leading it. He's guiding it. There's a purpose in all of that. I had to think of our memory selection today where it talked about God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able. And what that says is that in our temptations, there is a partnership that God is faithful in the sense that we aren't bearing it on our own. He understands what we are able to bear. And he is faithful. Our temptation and our victory is dependent upon the faithfulness of God. The theme I would like to bring out for a, a message th this morning is simply this, the washing of the water of the word 
And this is found in Ephesians 5. I might look at that after a while. But I don't want to just talk about how this works in a scientific way. I want to actually do it. I want to get into the word. And so now if you would turn to Isaiah chapter 33, I would just share some things that I've seen recently and have stood out to me from God's word. And so today might be a little bit of a, of a smorgasbord of, of thoughts and ideas. In Isaiah 33, starting in verse 5, it says, The Lord is exalted, for he dwelleth on high, he hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. And strength of salvation, the fear of the Lord, is his treasure. In just these two verses, there's quite a list of, of attributes of God. A variety of good, wonderful things that come from God because of his presence. He hath filled Zion with these things. You could say he has filled our, our um, congregations. He has filled that with his presence. And with his presence come these attributes. We think of the attribute of judgment. And maybe that sounds like a, a harsh word, a, an evil word, something we don't like. But in the sense of God's judgment, it, it is a right judgment. It is like a court decision where they were able to arrive at a good decision, a good remedy. You could say it would have the idea of justice, where truth prevails, judgment. The, pre the presence of the Lord. There's a verse that talks about how the presence of the Lord, there, there are times of refreshing that shall come because of the presence of the Lord. Righteousness. Righteousness is simply a, um, another way to describe something that is right. There is a right, there is a wrong. Righteousness. And then I like verse 6. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of that times. I, I see wisdom and knowledge working together as a team to bring about good things, stability of that times. How many of us here couldn't use a little more stability maybe in, in, our, in our, our life's experience or in our inner experience? And strength, another needed virtue of God, strength of salvation, and the fear of the Lord is his treasure. The fear of God is not a terror. It is actually something we desire, something we pursue. I believe it's how it's brought out there. Multiple blessings 
not just one blessing from God. See, I know, can you imagine if you had, say, an offer from God to select one of these, one of these uh, seven things in, in an abundant way, without measure, just an, an outpouring of one of these qualities, which would you select? It would be interesting to see which one you would emphasize in your life as what you need. But the truth is, with God, we, we have a selection of all of these things at our disposal. The song, with numberless blessings each moment he crowns and filled with his fullness divine, I sing in my rapture, O glory to God, for such a redeemer as mine. I see that as the cry of many a person, the desire of many a person who wrote scripture, who were filled with the Spirit in that way, and, and who wrote many of our hymns, were born out of heartfelt desires. Let's look now at Romans chapter 8. Considering the goodness of the Word and the value of the Word and how it washes us, and sometimes we need a little more than just gentle washing. We need a pressure washer to make this happen. Romans 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Very common verse, very powerful verse, and I think the level to which we can grasp the truth in this, in this verse is the level to which we walk in the Spirit and in the freedom that Jesus talked about when he said, if the Son shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I think many times our, our uh, mindset is to think of, is to leave out to them which are in Christ Jesus. We may not think the importance of what that really means in this verse. And so we say, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who walk at, not after the flesh. But I believe the crux of this verse, the key phrase here is them which are in Christ Jesus. Walking not after the flesh, that is certainly a, a, an aspect of our living that follows. But it is not the formula it is simply a characteristic of those who are in Christ Jesus. Our power does not come from beating our flesh into submission and simply having enough willpower to make this happen. That is not the power Jesus is talking about here. The freedom Jesus is talking about is not a freedom to serve the flesh. Rather, it is a freedom from the flesh. It is a freedom to walk in the spirit. We are bound by the thing we serve. In God's definition of, of how these things work, If we serve our flesh, we are bound to the flesh. 
if we serve the Spirit. We are bound to to the Spirit. There's a verse in Romans 6, 12 that says, Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Notice how the Bible describes, um, you shall not obey it. Okay, maybe maybe we think um, our body is obeying us, okay? But your body does not obey you. You are obeying it on a sin level. Is as powerful a verse as, as uh, Romans 8 verse 1 is. I like the next verse even better. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. It's almost as if the apostle Paul is saying, uh, you, you want a law? You who who put your trust and justify yourself by the law, all these things have I kept from my youth up. That was one man that talked to Jesus said that. I have kept all these things from my youth up. What lack I? You know, I believe you can keep the law and still be a servant of sin. A servant to the flesh. And so Paul says, I'm going to give you a law. You want a law? It is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The law of sin and death is still in effect. It it always was. It always will be to the end of time until Jesus returns. It is ever present. It came into effect at the fall of man. But the Bible says, and according to the scripture, the word of God, it declares to us that we that are in Christ Jesus are free from that law. We are free from that law of sin and death. God has decreed it, and we claim it. This is the gospel we preach. It is available to all by grace through faith to those who believe on the name of the Lord Jesus and that rest the keeping of their souls to him. Let's look now at Ephesians 5, verse 26. It talks about Christ, Jesus, who loved the church and gave himself for it. And we often read these verses in the context of a wedding or in um, practical pointers for getting along, interpersonal relationships, husbands loving your wives, and so on. But verse 26 speaks concerning what Christ did. It's, it's, It's very interesting how the Apostle Paul can be talking about one subject and very rapidly he switches to another subject altogether almost, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, cleanse the church with the washing of of water by the word. I think we all understand the, the need for washing things, for cleaning things, and how that it's just... It, it can be an ongoing thing. 
um, almost to the point where we become discouraged with it. Those of you who take care of housewives and their work with cleaning, it's just a daily chore and it can happen even several times throughout the day. It's part of our everyday lives. <clears throat> but I think in all these situations, they very often serve as parallels, spiritual parallels for what we need as a Christian, and that we need the continual washing of the water of the word. The word has a cleansing effect on our outlook, on our faith, on our behavior, on our spiritual state. There is a sense in which we are already clean. Jesus said in John 15, 3, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. But the cleansing we need on a daily basis, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It, it's a little bit like when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He said, you are already clean. Those who are washed don't need a bath. But he said, your feet are what are important at this time. And I think he was referring to this, this daily washing. How does that come about? I think the quickest way it comes about is through the word of God and, and getting into God's word and reading it and meditating on it and let it let its cleansing effect be upon us. The written word of God, what we have here today. And it's interesting, the Apostle Paul said the word of God is not bound. It is available. We think we're living in dark times. Maybe we are. Maybe perilous times. But to me, the, the word of God is, is much more available now than in many other times in history. The written word is often referred to in the Greek as the logos, the written word of God. But I was interested to find out that there's a second word in Greek called the rhema. It also refers to the word of God but it is speaking to that instant personal speaking of God through his Holy Spirit. The word that comes to us through the Spirit. God continues to speak to us in both ways, through his word and through the rhema. <clears throat> An example of this, this word, rhema, I believe, is Romans 8, 16. It says, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That bearing of witness, what is that? If it's not for um, a, word, a word from God that we hear in our spirits. It, it lines up with the written word, but yet it is another function of the spirit. 
I think of that song we sometimes sing. To thy temple I repair. Lord, I love to enter there. And one verse says, it talks about, as thy ministers proclaim, peace and pardon in thy name. Through their voice, by faith, may I hear thee speaking from the sky. What is that speaking from the sky? I think it's, it's the rhema, of the word of God through the spirit to us. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It is the washing of the water of the word, that initial washing. Maybe that is where we really need the pressure washer when we first come to Jesus and accept his salvation by grace through faith. We have received that initial cleansing And I like that example in John 13. Verse 10, where Jesus said, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, he said, but not all of you. And he was referring there to Judas. So it's very clear to me that when he was talking about cleanliness and cleanness, he was talking about a spiritual work of cleansing. Another version of that says, whoever has bathed has no need except to have his feet washed, for he is clean all over. So ye are clean, but not all. In other words, not everybody, not Judas. You know, in our, our lives as we engage in our everyday living, in our legitimate pursuits of life, there are times our spirits and our souls may become clouded. Our feet may need cleansing from the toil of this life. We may become weak, interacting with the things of this world. It can be a distraction. And we may need cleansing. And the beauty of John 13 is that Jesus said we can help one another in this. He said to wash one another's feet. There may be s several different aspects of that truth in carrying that, that uh, command out. But I think one of the highest commands is the, um, the refreshing, the times of refreshing of the Lord when we meet together. It's when the Bible talks about um, meeting together even more as you see the day approaching. I think it is because of that we have an opportunity to wash our brothers' feet spiritually to bring cleansing into their lives that come about from the toil of the day, from the heat of the day. And it's a comfort and a blessing to return to the Word of God. The Bible says, Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. You know, I had to think, I spoke a little bit about having the word available, and it, it amazes me. It continues to, uh, I continue to see the word of God. There's many study aids on, on the internet. You think maybe the internet's such a, a bad thing, but you can find God's word in abundance there. It makes me wonder how long are we going to have that, that privilege. 
and that abundance of the word of God. Many translations, many versions are available. It's just an outpouring of God's word. Are we availing ourselves of that abundance? But it made me think, you know, there was many people of faith in our Christian heritage, in our history as a church, Many that probably did not even have a Bible to study, and yet they had enough to put their faith in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? They had heard enough. My encouragement today is to avail ourselves of what we have, of the Word of God. It is quick and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. A sword is designed, think about it, to combat, right? The idea is we have an enemy, a sword, word of God. But it also talks about it pierces, um, it pierces asunder, even the dividing of the soul and spirit. I'm not sure what all that's about. As a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, it's helpful to us. We need that word of God. It is profitable to doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for the instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good work. And let's let God have that work in our life. I thought of a, an example in the Old Testament. Um, Josiah, good King Josiah. We think of the kings who were often not good, but he went through and he did a lot to bring about righteousness in his town. It said he purged Judah and Jerusalem. I wrote down a list of all the things Josiah did. He got rid of the high places. He got rid of the groves. He got rid of the carved images. He got rid of the molten images. He broke down the altars of Balaam. And all the works of iniquity, probably a variety of works there. It says he broke them in pieces and made dust of them, and then he scattered the dust upon the graves of those that had sacrificed to them and to the idols and the images of that day. It said he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars. And he did all this likewise in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, even unto Naphtali. Now the interesting thing about this is, later on, in his 18th year, he was 26 years old, he sent to repair the house of the Lord his God. And during that process, they found a book of the law that the Lord had given to Moses. And they read the book of the law to the king, Josiah, said he rent his clothes. Now this was after he went through all that other work of cleansing. Something that was would have had to be some major changes for the good. But he did it without the, the law of the Lord, at least right there in front of him. Instinctively, he knew what was the right thing to do. <laughs> I think it was because he sought the Lord as God. He became a king at a young age, at the age of eight. And it said, 
At the age of 16 years old, he began to seek the Lord as God because his heart was right. And we know his heart was right because of his actions. I'd like for our song leader to be prepared to lead us in um, number 234 from the church hymnal. And um, forever settled in the heavens, thy word, O Lord, shall firmly stand. Dave, would you lead us that song? Two hundred thirty-four. think some of the most beautiful music is that which was written and set to the words of scripture. Thy word and works unmoved remain, thy every purpose to fulfill. When I think of God's steadfast hand upon his creation, when you think of the heavens, the stars, they're in an order. There are constellations. The Bible talks about these constellations. We see pretty much, I think, much the same sky that the shepherds of old were seeing when Jesus came to the earth the first time and even before that. 
the works of God. And it's, it's an encouragement to me to see his steadfast hand in nature. A lot of times you have to go beyond this world to see that steadfastness in the heavens. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. So we have the word of God. We have the word Christ Jesus. And we have the rhema, the Holy Spirit, his word to us. I like that, that uh, triangle of blessing when we just think about God's word. Is there anyone that would have a thought or comment they'd like to share here this morning?